Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 96, verses 1 to 13. Psalm 96. And uh, as we read this, let us keep in mind that the sermon this afternoon is basically about the primacy of preaching, the importance of God's people uh, hearing the spoken word and proclaiming that to others as well. And that comes out very clearly in this Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Then would you also turn please to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. That's the text for the sermon. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5. Corinthians 2 from verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And then we also read from the Westminster Confession, chapter 14 and article 1, which you should find in your bulletin if you have a copy of that at home. Westminster 14.1. This is a chapter that deals with saving faith. Article 1. 
The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you grant us humble hearts as we sit under the preaching of your word? Will you open our hearts to hear what your spirit is saying to us through this provision of your word? And will you humble us to trust your promises, to supply our needs, needs that we do not and cannot supply for ourselves, and humble us also to submit to your good commands? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, we are pretty familiar with the word preaching and also with the, the uh, act of preaching. You hear it pretty regularly, a couple of times a week. And perhaps some of you also listen to other preaching, other uh, sermons online as well, in between all of that. It's a word that we use a lot, but it is worthwhile to look at the meaning and the nuances of the words that are used in the Bible to describe preaching so that we can understand it not only by experiencing it, but understanding what the scripture teaches about it. There are three main groups or three main words that are used to describe preaching in in the New Testament, particularly, uh, one of which refers to the idea of heralding. So you have a man who is sent as a kind of ambassador or spokesman of the king, delegated to do that. He comes with the king's authority and he proclaims authoritatively the edicts and the decrees of the king to his people. You have also a uh, uh, perhaps a less uh, um, detailed word or word group that has the idea of announcing a message and one form of that which talks about publishing that message abroad. So there's some of the main ideas in preaching as heralding, announcing and proclamation. These are words that are used very frequently in the New Testament showing something of the importance of preaching and the very fact that these words are so common. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 14, article 1, not only defines faith for us, it is a chapter after all about faith, it defines faith as the work of grace, a gift given by the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the elect, enabling them to believe to the saving of their souls. So this article defines faith for us, but it also speaks about the means that the Holy Spirit uses to grant and also to strengthen that faith. The Word, the Word of God, the sacraments and prayer. Means of grace, as we often say. But you'll note that in the wording of this article, it stresses especially this one element, this one means, the ministry of the Word. In other words, the preaching of the Word. And we find that also in our text that the Apostle Paul here is uh, 
very much emphasising the spoken word here. And we look at that under three headings concerning that ministry. First of all, emphasis on the spoken word. Secondly, de-emphasis on human strength. And thirdly, emphasis on the Lord. Emphasis on the spoken word, the preaching, not on human strength, but an emphasis on the Lord. And it may seem strange to you that we focus on preaching in connection with a confessional article that deals with saving faith, but we do so because in this article, preaching is put forward as the primary means that the Lord uses in the granting and strengthening of faith. In the first place, then, the emphasis on preaching, the emphasis on the spoken word over against, for example, reading God's word, this emphasis might come as something as a surprise to some of us. We might be inclined to think to ourselves that the Holy Spirit produces faith by means of the word of God in any form at all. Uh, Reading the Bible, even reading a good Christian book which cites God's word, or reading a Christian tract, or having evangelistic contact with a Christian friend, not just preaching, that any form in which the word is put can create, can be used by the Spirit to create faith. And of course, it is possible and it is common for people people to be converted in any one of these ways. But look carefully at the language the Apostle uses in this text. He uses words like speech and proclaiming, verse 1. Message and preaching and words in verse 4. There is a strong emphasis in this passage on the spoken word. Nor is this an emphasis that is only found in this text. Most notably, perhaps, in this score, uh, think of Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How will they believe? In other words, how will they have faith in him whom they have not heard. That is an emphasis on speaking and hearing. And how will they hear without a preacher? That's an emphasis on the spoken word. And how will they preach unless sent? And then at the end of that segment in Romans, Isaiah 52 verse 7 is quoted, which speaks of the beautiful feet of those who bring good news of good tidings, and there too, one of that group of words I mentioned in the introduction is used, the one that has this idea of a messenger announcing the good news. We can think also of Acts 6 verse 4, where the apostles had this opportunity that they could easily have got very involved in a deed ministry, But instead, that was largely given over to the deacons so that the apostles could concentrate on the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. And the fact that they did so shows, again, the priority that that ministry has. It is because of such verses that the Westminster Confession in this article uh, explains that the grace of faith which is the work of the Spirit, 
is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word. And it's not only the Westminster Confession that says this. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, question answers 65, asks, where does that faith come from? And the answer, the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it through our use of the Holy Sacraments. And Romans 10 verse 17 is cited in that connection as well as a proof text. Uh, Chad Van Dixhorn, uh, probably the, the greatest authority on the Westminster Assembly at the present time, in his commentary on the Confession, quotes the Puritan Thomas Goodwin, who was a, a member of the Westminster Assembly, and who put it this way, that relying solely on our own reading of the Bible at home, rather than sitting under the preaching of the word, is like relying on watering pots in the place of rain. And I suspect that that statement is one that would not be very much appreciated in very many churches of today. What is it then that makes the difference? What is it that makes the difference between preaching and other ways of having God's word communicated to us? Well, it's certainly not that the word is any more or less the word or any more or less powerful in itself, whether it is preached or read or whatever form we have it. Uh, we could perhaps argue in answer to that, if it's not, if the word is equally the powerful word of God in whatever form it's communicated, what is the difference? Well, in answer to that, we could say that when we read the Bible ourselves, we often don't dwell on it as we should. We don't have our attention drawn to it as much as should be. And when we do give it attention, we often bring a very limited understanding to it. Whereas when it is preached, it comes through someone who, uh, Lord willing, has been gifted and equipped and called by the Lord to exegete the passage of Scripture accurately and then proclaim it coherently, Lord willing. But when we argue that way, it kind of feels like we're putting too much emphasis on man. Or we could argue that the difference comes down to the fact that Preaching comes in connection with the ministry of the church. Since it is the church, not individual Christians as such, it is the church collectively that is given the great commission to teach and to use also the keys of the kingdom. But that still begs the question, why has the Lord made it so? Why has he given that ministry to the church and what is it that makes it so important? Well, we're left with this answer. And it is, it is this, that the Lord is pleased in preaching to use weak vessels to herald and to announce the gospel and he brings to that his power through the work of the Holy Spirit. He brings the power of the Holy Spirit to bear upon the preaching of his word in a special way. So the difference is not due to man. The difference is not due to the fact that the word is more or less powerful in itself in some situations. It has to do with the way that God is pleased to use it. 
The apostle therefore says that his preaching was not in human power, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Verse 4. Now, I guess that there are some theologians who have overstated the role of preaching compared to the, the importance of reading the scripture for ourselves. But one thing for sure, it is given prominence in the scripture. As what we might say the primary word, the primary way, rather that the Lord wants us to receive his word for the granting and strengthening of faith. Of course, the sacraments and the prayer and prayer also have a place in that. The Heidelberg expresses it this way, that the Holy Spirit produces faith by preaching and confirms it by the sacraments. The Westminster puts it this way, that preaching, I'm paraphrasing here slightly to make a, the parallel with the Heidelberg clear, that preaching ordinarily is that which produces faith, but the sacraments and prayer also increase and strengthen that faith along with the preaching of the word. The sacraments do so by driving the truth of the word home through our various senses. And prayer has that role because in prayer, when we ask the Lord to increase our faith and strengthen it, then he graciously and powerfully answers that prayer and he does so using the primacy of preaching and other methods as well, but with preaching taking that prime spot. How much would we struggle in our faith if we just stayed home and read the Bible, but ignored the preaching of God's word and ignored the assembly of God's people and ignored the sacraments? It's certainly true that we do have problems even when we are under the regular ministry of God's word. We still have our struggles. But it doesn't help to provide ourselves of the most prominent way that the Lord grants and strengthens faith. Now alongside the emphasis on preaching, the apostle also seeks to de-emphasize human strength. Our second point. The apostle explains that he didn't come to Corinth, he didn't come to preach to them with superiority of speech and persuasive words or of wisdom, verses 1 and 4. In other words, he didn't come with fancy words and he didn't come with flowery eloquence and he didn't come with learned philosophical arguments and great feats of human logic of the kind that impresses the world. Though if anyone was capable of doing that, I dare say it was the Apostle Paul. But rather he was with the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Verse 3. We don't know exactly what that weakness was. Was it his thorn in the flesh? Was it some illness? Was it some problem with his speech? A speech impediment or a problem with his delivery that caused people to say he's not very impressive when he preaches in person? Was it the opposition that he faced? Was he discouraged when he arrived in Corinth about the situation there and fearful that his ministry would be rejected as initially it was by some? We don't know exactly the reason. 
But nevertheless, the apostle determined that he was not going to play to the gallery. And he was not going to use methods of preaching that appealed to the worldly. And he was not going to do those things, even if it meant that he might lose some ground in the eyes of some of the Corinthians. No, he was determined to proclaim only the testimony of God. Verse 1. He was determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 2. Which, by the way, doesn't mean some minimalistic message on the bare fundamentals, but Christ and him crucified is a summary of the whole counsel of God. He was concerned to preach only in demonstration of the Spirit and his power. Verse 4. In other words, to preach with all his weaknesses and with no fancy additions so that the only thing that would shine through with power in his preaching would be the Spirit's power to change lives by means of the word of God and his own divine power, not the apostles' power. So that the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Isaiah 29 verse 14, which is referred to in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19 and forms a background to our text. So that all of the glory goes to God and not to man. That's the point. But the apostle adds another closely related reason in verse 5. So that the faith of the hearers would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. If men are persuaded by eloquence, if they are persuaded by human logic or by brilliant philosophy, the philosophy of other men, that is an unstable foundation. And the more preachers try to embellish the word, the more they risk the hearers building on the wrong foundation. That was a danger that was evidenced in Corinth by the factions centering on their favourite preachers. And I don't mean to say by that that their favourite preachers were trying to embellish the word to gather a following. I don't mean that at all. I simply say this to indicate what a, a danger this is for human beings that sinful human beings so easily gravitate towards this kind of thing rather than relying on God's power in God's word. Embellishing the word, in a sense, actually hinders and distracts the hearers from being strengthened in the faith. If you go home from church with a good feeling because you're impressed with the preacher's fancy eloquence or the cleverness of the preacher or, some, in many cases, the jokes of the preacher, this is not a recipe for growth in maturity. It is a recipe for exactly the opposite. Well, it is necessary, as I indicated, to de-emphasize oneself as a preacher in order to give all the glory to the Lord. Or to put it another way, in order to emphasize the Lord, our third and final point. And I want you to note how the Apostle does this. I've referred to it already, but I want to draw it in this way, draw it together in this way, to make the point that the Apostle Paul, in his emphasis in preaching, is making it a Trinitarian emphasis. 
proclaiming the testimony of God, verse 1, God's self-witness in his word, and there's no greater witness, and there's no other source of revelation for preaching, but that which comes from God in his word. So the testimony of God, knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, verse 2, that is the focus of Christ-centred preaching and demonstrating nothing except the Spirit and his power in preaching. Testimony of God the Father, focusing, centering on Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Spirit, that is Trinitarian and Christ-centred preaching. And this also helps us understand the primacy of preaching. When God's testimony is accurately exegeted and put together in a Christ-centred sermon, and when the Spirit then takes that and uses that as a, a means of grace and a key of the kingdom, and brings his power to it, to that power of the word. When he does that according to his will, powerfully using that to open and close the kingdom of God, without the preacher trying to steal the limelight in any way. When the three persons are active in that way and brought to the fore in the sermon, it is a very, very powerful thing. It is a very powerful form of communicating the powerful word of God. And yet that is precisely what is under attack to such an extent today. And it's no surprise that more and more people fail to see the value of preaching and to replace it with stage acts and rock concerts and pet church and miracle working or whatever else. In our entertainment saturated an attention span deficient society, the temptation is great to replace preaching with a sideshow. Well, that's what's going on in many churches today, but what about a bit closer to home? What about the Reformed churches of New Zealand? Well, as you may have noticed, and as I can assure you, the sessions of our churches are very much aware of it, attendance in second services is falling at an alarming rate in our churches. And you know what that means? It probably means several things. But one of the things it means is that people are losing sight of the primacy of preaching. They either think that they can supplement their morning dose of it with something else in the afternoon that doesn't require coming to church and actually sitting under it in that way, or even worse, they would rather be doing something else entirely instead of listening to God's word, that prime means of strengthening faith. Instead of that, they'd rather be having a barbecue, doing their shopping, going to the beach or watching TV and such things. But you see, if you are convinced that there is something very special and there is something very important going on in preaching something that gives such great honour to the triune God as it is his testimony and his son's work and the power of his spirit. Something that is the primary means for receiving the gift of faith and for having it strengthened 
as the herald brings the edicts of God and announces his will for his people. If you believe all of that, then what does it mean if you prefer to do other things on Sunday afternoon? You say you believe in these things, but you do something else on Sunday afternoon. This is not to say that preaching is all we do in the assembly or the only important thing we do in the assembly. There are other reasons for grabbing every opportunity we can to worship side by side with our brethren corporately in addition to this reason that together we sit under the ministry of the word. But preaching is surely one of the major reasons. Look at any of the great works on preaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, uh, many of the Puritans, they all say the same thing. There is no substitute for preaching. It is of prime importance. Martin Lloyd-Jones even has a chapter in his book on uh, preaching. Uh, He has a book uh, um, called The Primacy of Preaching, a whole chapter rather on the primacy of preaching. And this is the point of Westminster, chapter 14, article 1. There is no substitute for preaching as a means for God granting and strengthening our faith to the glory of God and also to your benefit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to show that we value your gracious gift of faith to us by upholding the primacy of preaching. Keep us, and Father, keep our churches from trying to substitute other things for it or to embellish it with things that have worldly appeal. Father, will you indeed strengthen our faith through the preaching of your word? And will you use it also to bring others into your kingdom as it is proclaimed? Will you also motivate us to use every opportunity we can to sit under the ministry of, of your word rather than to decreasing, uh, to decrease our exposure to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The comfort of the gospel comes to God's people by speaking, the speaking of peace through the Lord Jesus according to Psalter Hymnal 406. After that, we will receive God's blessing and have opportunity to sing a doxology, number 406. People of God receive the Lord's blessing by faith, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And now as our doxology, we sing number 280, stanzas 1 and 3.